Hey, this is Brian Jensen. You're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. And sitting across from me this afternoon is Juno, award-winning guitarist and singer who has played alongside the likes of Celine Dion, Nora Jones, and a guy who was just in a couple weeks ago, Mark Jordan. Please welcome Mr. Kevin Bright. Kev, thanks for coming. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? Well, thank you. Great. So, Kev, we were talking before we started. You grew up in a small town in northern Ontario mm. called McCarrow. Mm-hmm. And as it happens, I am from the neighboring small town, Espanola. That's right. I've been up there for a while, but. Yeah, you know, people that lived, nobody would cop to living, I have to say, when you didn't live in Espanola, you wouldn't cop to living in it because of the, the pulp and paper mill. Exactly. Everybody's father or brother lived uh worked at the at the uh, at the mill but only and not because it wasn't uh it, it was because it was a sulfur mill and so yeah. so people would say i'd say i'm from a caro and they'd say anywhere near espanola and i'd say i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> sorry well i used to i used to do the same thing i well i still do subbury <laughs> yeah i'm subbury subbury yeah they go as well yeah yeah okay anyway so yeah. what's up <laughs> <laughs> so kev your uh new record is out yeah it's called stella bella strata and that loosely translates into beautiful star on the road of, of the, the road, road is yeah. That right yeah um so the name this is cool the name comes from a guitar that you had made for you by a master luthier who is also a buddy of yours yes yeah uh that's it uh i uh i had the idea that i wanted to build or have built uh, the perfect guitar, mm-hmm. huh? and I wanted it, but it had to be specifically for slide guitar. I wanted it to be played with a slide, and mo- all the guitars I like that I own that are slide guitars, they're gr- they're really incredible guitars, but they don't intonate. You mm-hmm. know, they don't stay in tune. And to find one that plays in tune is built like a like a like a, a brick shit house is mm-hmm. hard mm-hmm. because when you go on the road, you could get a guitar for for a grand. But you really, um, if you're using it every day, things are going to start falling off it. Yeah. And so I wanted something that was really incredibly built. Yeah. And I, and I, and Joe Yanisdello, who is a, a beautiful builder, and I have a lot of his instruments, and he builds guitars for a lot of people, but they're, his instruments are really great. I had this idea for this guitar. And, uh, but then, then as he was building the guitar, I started thinking about I would put out a companion record to the guitar, nice. and I and I always had in my head a big band record uh, that was a throaty guitar, a, a loud guitar, kind of an aggressive guitar without it really being a, a genre specific. It wasn't like I was thinking of it being a, you know a rock and record, but I wanted to make it a big band record with uh, strings and horns, and that became Stella Bellastrada, and then the guitar. Around the time I was doing it, after I wrote everything, the guitar was built, and then it, it's the guitar that's on that record. And so that and then it became something else. Then mm-hmm. I, then I took it to the place of everything of high quality. Seemed to me a beauty uh, came from Italy. Mm-hmm. So I wrote songs around love affairs, you know, uh, Sophia Loren and Marcello Mastroianni, and I thought of all these beautiful things. I, I, the many times I've been to Italy. I was always smitten by everything. I was smitten by the roadside attractions to the, you know, their equivalent of Tim Hortons is like our five-star eating experience here in mm. Canada. So if you were to have a, a greasy spoon lunch, it's insane. You and I would be, we'd, be, we'd feel like we're in the finest part of Little Italy in Toronto. Oh, really? Yeah, or New York. And you're, you pay what you'd pay for a donut. 
Wow. And really, and, and there's there's the mother cooking, and it's beautiful. So I just got really taken by that. And I, but I've been taken by it for, for 20 years, and I just thought, just the highest of quality. If it doesn't sound good, it sure looks good. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Stella Bellstrada, the guitar, really looks good. Yeah. And it really sounds good. It really is great. It's the best thing I've ever owned. And uh, in the in the pickups of the guitar, little things like this, uh, you know, they're they're what they call gold gold foil, mm-hmm. which is, which is basically like a gold foil filament that goes in there. So the pickup has a gold hue, but you can do anything you want in there. But people really like that look. I, I don't mind it, but I thought we can get we can do something a little bit more beautiful. So uh, Joe's idea was to put Sophia Loren. In one, and Marcello Mastriani in the other That's one. That's great. Yeah. And the buttons are electrify. You know, you press a button, they light up. It's black sparkle. It's made of um, solid mahogany. Yeah. Not chambered. It really resonant wood for strings, for open tunings, for slide. Yeah. Then uh, Stella Bellstrada is beautifully written on the pick guard. It's just, there's no... There's no fat on this guitar. This guitar is really something else. And I wanted, I didn't, to make a a record about a guitar is kind of boring for me. You know, it's like blah, there it is. But to write songs that I thought would fit uh, what I wanted to get across as far as my love of all things Italian, that was a bit, it was a bit of a, of a chore because it was my Northern Ontario view of it. It's not, it's not somebody from Rome's idea. I'm not on the tourist board of Italy. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm Canadian who just happens to love that. I have no Italian blood in me whatsoever, but I can appreciate every ounce of it. Mm-hmm. I don't take any of that for granted, so I love it. That's great. Yeah. Now, your brother Gary also plays on the record, I think, right? Gary and my brother Garth. Okay. Yeah. Cool. My twin brothers, yeah. They're on it. <laughs> What's Garth up to now? Uh, Garth works at the uh, school board, Toronto District School Board, but he plays. He still plays drums, and uh, he's awesome. He's great. It was a good reason to get the brothers on this. Was that record? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I remember when um, you know back in the eighties when I was when I was back in Espanola, yeah. people used to talk about you and Gary because I guess Gary had just hooked up with Corey Hart. Yeah, that that's time. right. He played on sunglasses at night. <laughs> that's right. And. Uh, you know, you were kind of uh, lauded legendarily. Mm. Those guys used to live here. Wow. That's <laughs> yeah. something. That. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that. That's great. It's true. Wow. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk out of here with a little bit more ego than I had when I arrived. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we were talking earlier about your tunes. This is a, a, a great list. And there are some songs on here. There's three of them that really blew my mind. Oh, good. That I had not heard before. Which Which... So the Newman tune, Wandering Boy. Oh my God, Rosetta Tharp. Yeah, love it. Didn't it rain? Yeah, and uh, the Mary Goatsy. Like I, I heard that song, Kevin. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know what, how to react. Yeah, I never heard anything like that. Yeah. You hear John Prine, and you hear, yeah. you know, but I, I've never heard anything like that yeah. before. Yeah, I feel the same way. But yeah, so so let's we'll go through them one by one. Sure, we'll start off with uh, Bob Dylan, Brownsville Girl. Yeah, from '86, and this knocked out, loaded, right? Yeah. Well, this is a record that uh, I think Bob was tortured for. I think that, uh, you know, the critics had pretty much thought he had lost his mind at this point. And uh, he, this record he had co-wrote with a lot of different writers. And this one, this song, Brownsville Girl, is one of my favorite songs ever written. It was written by him and Sam Shepard, you know, mm-hmm. the, the playwright. And uh, it tells that story of, I actually believe, at least I believe this, that it was the most autobiographical song of Bob's. 
And there's not a word in that song that I don't feel that that what I know of Bob or what I know of uh, him in that period isn't telling some sort of truth uh, to him. But also, I, I, I a lot of people can identify with those words, and it's a it's a it's just a it's right out of that Paris Texas mode, you know, the 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 man, the lone man trying to find himself mm-hmm. and going across America in a beat up busted down Ford and he comes across this woman who is not the woman he was with before but she reminds him of that woman and they're going you know they're in the, they're going over the panhandle and they're going you know they're sleeping by the Alamo and uh, there's some incredible lines you know in, the, in that song I learned that that song I learned every word of that song and it's you know it's quite a song there's like 17 verses in that song and I just love that song when I heard it I I remember when I heard it because I was going in to do a record and the person whose record it was wanted us to get the idea of what he wanted. Ah. And nobody had ever done that. They do this all the time in film. You know, they put a temp track. So if they have a scene of a dog in a field, they have a temp track of a piano or something. And then they give it to the composer and the composer takes it and writes something similar to what their temporary track was. Ah. But he had done this for his own record where he had a temp track of what he, he didn't want us to cover it. He wasn't stealing the words, but he just loved the feeling of the song. And the song, you know, is, is almost 12 minutes long. And uh, that's the first time I heard it. I wanted to hear it again because I was so taken by it. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I listened to that song thousands and thousands of times. And I just love that song. It's one of my, it's one of my favorite Bob Dylan songs. And I have, I probably have about really 40 or 50 favorite Bob Dylan songs. But that one is, I, that without a doubt is my top. Really? Yeah. That's, I couldn't even think about, you know, I was asked to do this. I couldn't think of, that's the first one that came to my mind. Yeah. Because not a lot of people know that song. No, it's true. Yeah. And I mean, he doesn't even do it. He, I don't think he's ever done it live. Oh, really? Uh, I don't think so. There's, there's, a, I know there's YouTube of him doing it and he just sings the chorus. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, like I said, there's, there's some, just some choice words in there that is so Bob and Sam Shepard. And it was called Danbury Girl. That's how it was written. Oh. And then he changed the lyrics while they're recording it, given the genius re- that he is. Wow. Yeah, so it's that's why I put that song on my list. Yeah, it's definitely a departure from your standard idea of Dylan, as it were, mm. I think, just given like, you know, the history of his catalog, stuff like that. Mm. Musically anyway, I mm. think. Well, I don't know. I, I think it's a it's it all signs point to that song being kind of a horrible production in that it's got a choir, it's got horns. I don't think that's the way it was done. I think that they added all that stuff after Bob left. Oh, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they do with it. They could have made it a duet with him and a timpani. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't matter because it's such a great song yeah. that it. I I don't get stuck on the production of it. I I I think he sings it so beautifully, and he grooves so so well with his voice. And he at times he's singing monotone, but in the concept of monotone is that there is no tone. There's, he's not like if so if, if it's in. I don't know what key it's in, but if it's in G, he could be singing monotone means there is no note that can be applied to what he's singing. That's not the case here. Like he actually is singing beautifully. It's like a rap. It's kind of like a rap tune in the sense that he, he just nails it. I, I, I would love to have been the fly on the wall with that. So to me, it's pretty typical Bob in, in a lot of ways. Uh, the production again, like I, I love the production because it's mm. so, it's the song is so great. Anything about that song is, it's, 
so overproduced. It's not funny, mm-hmm. but I've learned to love it because I just like again that song is just slays me. Yeah, yeah. So next is King Curtis, Whiter Shade of Pale. This yeah. is really cool. This is a live version, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. This is uh this is from the live at the Fillmore. Yeah, and uh, if you if you get a chance to see with Nell and I. This is the song that starts out the movie with Nell and I. With Nell and I was a movie from mid eighties. It was a George Harrison production, a handmade. Bruce Robinson wrote wrote this movie. It was his brainchild. He wrote it, directed it, and he's a guy that wrote uh, Swimming, uh, sorry, The Killing Fields, and he did How to Get Ahead in Advertising. And Richard E. Grant plays with Nell. But this song starts the movie. I am mm. a huge uh, King Curtis fan. Uh, I think I love him. And then this song, um, it's such a beautiful song. But his version is amazing. And the audience is going insane. That's it. You can hear them talking. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, it's it's live at Bill Graham's place, the Fillmore. I think it's a Fillmore East or Fillmore West. Fillmore West. And it's a great band. He has Bernard Purdy on drums. He has, uh, let me remember this, Billy Preston, you know, the fifth Beatle. He's on on it. Uh, The best guitar player ever, Cornell Dupree. I think Jerry Jamont is playing bass, and that that is so heavy. It's yeah. so beautiful. And the way he plays, there's, he, there's nothing in there that is, you throw that away. Yeah. Like he, everything is, it, its intention is so honorable, and uh, it it's it's one of those things that doesn't have an era, doesn't have an age to it. Mm-hmm. It could be, it could have been done yesterday, and it could have been done like it was in the late 60s. Yeah. King Curtis was murdered in 71. A tragic end to a, a beautiful life. You know, play with Aretha Franklin and, and every record. You, there's no, there's really no such thing as a bad King Curtis record. Mm. And he was soulful as all can get. And that song just does it for me. Uh, but I first, like I said, I first heard it though with Nell and I. I knew it was King Curtis right away. Yeah, I was in the theater and I turned to the person I was with and said, "King Curtis, it, it can only be him." And I went and bought that record, wore it out, and then recently bought it again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I love it. You buy it on vinyl? Yeah. Nice. I bought that. There's some things you have to own in vinyl. Yeah. That you have to own in vinyl. Yeah. So are the other things not. But that I really felt I wanted to hear. I was really hoping that when I got the record, it was rightfully abused because I can hear all that static and crackle because it just makes it for me like that's it just reminds me of the copy i had when i bought it in the mid 80s that i just i wore that out you know i loved it it was great yeah but it's also just such an intimate recording like i said at some point there's a woman's voice yeah it's it's like a church service in a way like they they, they feel so connected to what he's playing and uh, it's such a great song poco harem you know that is gary brooker i mean it's i'm sure he must have i would love to find out what Gary Brooker said when he heard that. I'm sure he, he must have just fallen on the floor when he heard that. Yeah. It's, it's like so beautiful and respectful. Yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Randy Newman, Wandering Boy. Yeah. This is a, an extremely sad tune. It's an old song though, isn't it? No. It's not? No. It's off of, um, it's off his record. Come on, Dark man. Dark Matter? Dark Matter. But it's the last song of Dark Matter. I thought it was like a, the story goes, I think that he heard Maybe I, I could be wrong about this, but he referenced some really, really old work. He was influenced by it, and he wrote the song based on, mm. I think, a song that was called Wandering Boy or something like that. Yeah, well, Wandering Boy is an old uh, 
it's an old bluegrass song, uh, but this is not it. Oh, okay. Uh, I know what I know of this song. A really good friend of mine played on that record, mm. played on Dark Matter, and uh, he didn't play on that song. Dave Pilch, he did, he's a bass player. He's from Toronto. He didn't play on that song because it's just Randy and piano. There's mm-hmm. no strings or horns. It's, it's the last song. It closes the record of Dark Matter. So when I got a copy of the record, I I called Dave and said, what a great record. And I started talking about Wandering Boy, the song he's not on. Mm-hmm. And Dave didn't know the song because Dave didn't play on it. Yeah. So then Dave got asked by Randy to play at the uh, Greek Theater. Yeah. And he went and did it. And Dave... I had to, he listened to that song and and he and he talked to Randy about that song, and so I got basically from the mouth of Randy in a way once removed, and it was that Randy would go, his family was invited every year to a house. They go to this house, and they the families would meet in this community, and this family had children, and Randy had noticed that one of the children weren't there, and he asked how the where is this guy? And they end up, he was, a, he was, a, he lived on the street. Mm. He'd taken to the, the ways of the boulevard and oh. it was a tragic case of people we see every day on, on, when we come into cities, we see, we see people, I'll, I'll leave here, I'll see. And you wonder the story. And he wrote that song about somebody's child. I, it's really difficult to, uh, I can't get through that song, actually. And it's it's one of the most powerful songs to hit me in the last year. But there's several, well, there's two on that record that do it for me. Every like every time I hear it, I go, oh, man. And that's a good feeling, to be honest with you. I love that feeling of, of being torn apart by a song. And I, and, I don't, and I don't even know sometimes why. But that's anybody that has a son or a child and you hear that song, it's just, it's sad. It is. But there's something beautiful about that line about... Uh, you know, if you've seen him, you know, uh, push him toward the light, push him towards the light. Yeah. You know, and that I hope he's warm, hope he's dry. Yeah. And, uh, something, uh, hope he's in the company of, in somebody's strangers. eye, a stranger's eye. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I just think that, so there's something optimistic about that song that that person may come home eventually. I don't know. It's, I feel that some days and other days I think, I think that pretty much that's the end of that one. But that song is, Again, that was at the top of my list. Just because maybe it won't be tomorrow, but it was when I was asked. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I love this next one. Rosetta Tharp, mm. Didn't It Rain. What a voice. What a voice. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a voice. What a guitar player. And played an SG. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what those were called. It was an SG with three pickups. Yeah. I think it might have been an artisan. I think that's what they used to call it. Mm. I can't remember. I know somebody who's listening would know what that is. But yeah, and it, uh, yeah, she was amazing. She was, she was, she was working for the Lord. Yeah. I mean, it was unbelievable. She was a woman of strong faith and, uh, I don't think suffered fools, uh, at all. And you, you can see that song on YouTube, her playing it Mm -hmm. with the white dress and the white SG and the heels. Yeah. And they play, people are going crazy. <laughs> Rightfully so. That was in England that was shot. Yeah. 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 That was. You know, I recorded that song with Hugh Laurie. Hugh Laurie loved that song. No way. He did. And he had two singers, Gabby Marino and, oh, Pepper. Pepper. Gene. Yeah. And the two of them was a duet. And it's one thing to love that song. 
And it's another thing to be able to play that song. Yeah, for sure. And then to, and then to listen to it every night. And I don't think I actually toured that record, but I know we did some shows. We did one show, and I remember them singing the shit out of it. Mm. And it was amazing. Like, I mean, it truly is amazing. I played Mandicello on that song, and I remember just never wanting it to end because it's, it's a it's a locomotive. Yeah, it doesn't matter what you you could do that on a ukulele. That song is so simple and so powerful. Yes. Uh, this next song, it, it's so powerful. I I didn't know what to say after I I heard it. I mm. never heard a song like that. Mary Gautier called "I Drink." Uh, another one. Yep, that one. Uh, I heard that song from uh, "Drink." It was from it was it was a show of Bob Dylan's his theme time radio hour called Drink. Oh, and he played Mary Gauthier. That's the first time I heard her. I'd never heard of her. Yeah, and I and I've heard a lot since. And I played a festival with her. I was it was a workshop, and I, I didn't hear her do that song. But she was a uh, she opened a Cajun kitchen, mm. and she writes with uh, vets with. Uh, Iraq and Afghanistan vets goes oh, wow. goes writes with the wives and the and the troops have come back to America to write their story the what the women that were alone without the husbands and then the husbands who what they went through powerful and she's a very powerful powerful performer powerful writer and simple like just she writes in that song you know and I drink things that are just simply put you know about seeing her father and herself and doesn't want to be told what she's doing is wrong. And and it ends with her just saying, I drink. That's what I am. Who am I? I drink. That's that's who I am. Very powerful. It really is. Yeah. I've never heard a song like that. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a it's a it's a beautiful punch in the face, that song. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh next one, this guy should be a lot more popular than he is. Hoxley Workman. Yeah. And uh We're Not Broken Yet. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, that that um that was a song that I heard. I can't remember where I heard it, and uh, I just loved it. I love. I just think it's it's a it's a classic song, and he uh, he knocked it out of the park. And I think it's from it's a from Wolves. That's the record. The record it's is from two thousand fifteen. Yeah, think. it's his second last record. Well, his last record's be- a beautiful record, but this was from that record. I can't. I think it's Wolves. I think it is. God, I, I feel bad. I don't know. Anyways, that's a great record, and that song again, great lines in that song, and it's a, I, I, you know, I don't. When I heard that, I just thought I gotta, I gotta remember, I gotta remember this song, and I learned that song. I just love it. Yeah, I, yeah and I, and I know him, and I, and I, I've never asked him about that song, and I, in my memory of, of I think what he, when I heard him talking about that record, and maybe even that song, I kind of don't believe it because i think it might have been a very fastly written a very quickly written song really it might have been but i somehow i it's depressing to, to me to think that he actually wrote that quickly because it's so brilliant and i think and he might and knowing him he probably did but yeah it's just really a, another perfect song yeah yeah it's funny because it, you know the sound of it is like anthemic yeah but it's very cutting and and uh, poignant mm-hmm. at the same time sure so it's 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 interesting. It's a it's a great song. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Okay, the last one, Joni Mitchell, uh, "Sunny Sunday." This is from the eighties, I think, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Turbulent Indigo. Yeah, yeah, that is a great song. Um, and her guitar playing is one strum. You know, it's her. Yeah, and there's some beautiful lines in that song. You know, and that, and she builds up a lot of tension in that song. 
you know, the gun, and and she misses, and it's going to be another day. And yeah, those those words just uh, kill me. And but but I I mean, she's a hard one to that. Like I said, uh, what's my favorite today? Tomorrow will be will be another batch, but it's always going to be one of her songs in that batch. I was going to ask you that question because her first, this, this came out, sorry, it was 90, I think, after her 80s and, and yeah. long after 70s, obviously. But she had nine records that I, her first nine are, in my opinion, awesome. Sure. Right around Hegira, she started to, you know, kind of go a different way. Yeah. But you those, thought, you're not a fan of that as uh, much? Uh, Hegira, I like, but then she did, um, what's the album Mingus? that came out? Of, yeah. I didn't, I was, you, you were a fan of, of it. Uh, yeah. But like all the stuff that came out before that, I have a playlist that I play at home. Like probably every Saturday morning, I'll listen to it. Right, just all the really great, right? You know, in my opinion, the great stuff. Well, you know, I like I like it all. Um, I like the way her voice changed. Like I I like that a lot. Like I really love it, and I I just I just see her all the time as somebody different. Mm-hmm. Like she's always somebody in motion. I like that trip with her. Like, I feel like she's not the same person she was when she did Blue. No. You know, she's not the same person, uh, Court and Spark, you know. Uh, she's not that person, but she's somebody else. And then, you know, that record she did both sides now, which was a collection of songs. And they took, the idea was they took love from its budding phase to it's over to, you find somebody else that you fall in love with. She made this record, and on that record were all jazz standards, and it was it was string arrangements and orchestra arrangements by Vince Mendoza. But on the record is only two of her songs, which was uh, which was a uh, case of you, mm-hmm. and both sides now they're different. When you hear that singer, it's not the same person. Uh, it is, of course, the same person, but you're hearing the scars, you're hearing the, the life right there, and yes. I love that like i really john prine you know i john prine tom waits yeah you know you you're hearing these guys you don't even recognize them if you hear if you hear a john prine song from his first record souvenirs or something and you hear the last record you're you're looking at a completely different person mm-hmm. i mean they are the same person they have the same dna but so much has happened to them and they've they've been a a witness to the to this lots of life you know and i i but i can hear it and uh whereas i don't know if i hear that with maybe i will but lyle lovett seems to be very consistent mm-hmm. with who he is john hyatt very consistent randy randy newman gotten old, older but he's basically the same dude in a lot of ways like his voice is still a little bit lower but still but Joni is a completely different character yes so i can't pick a fave or a moment, or a favorite, or a record that I don't like, because even records I thought were really '80s and really, you know, the Fairlight or got a lot of programming on it. Yeah, there's always something about it that I think well, it can only be her, and I and and maybe it's lyrically and it's what she does with melodies and that great guitar playing. Even though it's become more hi-fi, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. her style is more. There's still, I just see it as that I'm willing to get on that boat with her and and just see that growth some more but i but you're not alone though i know a lot of people have periods that they like better than other periods i just know that there's not any going back so i go i go ape for that stuff because i just think i guess if i heard somebody that was just they didn't really grow or they it's be it'd be really hard but if if they were singing things a lot lower mm-hmm. 
and they can't, and their, their range now has been narrowed down to a, an octave and they can't hit it, then maybe I would, I would think, you know, it's, it'd be a little disappointing. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. But yeah. I, that's certainly not the case I feel for her. I just, I, I feel it's just a, an amazing thing. So that song, I don't even know if Turbo Indigo is the last of her, um, right, written records. I'm uncertain. Could be because it's it's. I want to say it's around ninety four, ninety five. Yeah, because I know she did those records I was telling you about. Hit and Misses was a yes, record she did. That's right. Then she did both sides. Now and then she did an epilogue, or I think or the one that's after it, which is a, it's a continuation of both sides now. Mm-hmm. And then there hasn't been a record out that's for right. a really long time. Yeah, illness and whatever else. That could have been her last one. I think it is. The covers at Van Gogh. That's right. It's an homage, her, yeah. That she did of herself. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Again, like I moved by and I and I got a chance to, I didn't get a chance to play with her, but I played for her. It was she was inducted in the Canadian Hall of Fame and I was I played and she was there and she accepted the award. And then I went I went to um Rotterdam, Den Haag, not Rotterdam and did the North Sea Jazz Festival with and Brian Blade uh put on the Joni experience. Uh-huh. And uh Joni had just taken ill like that and I was, was asked to play, so I did it, and it was beautiful. It was a lot of fun, and you're writing down all those beautiful songs, and ev- and every singer that was part of it were to watch them work through those words. I I don't think any of them would would have thought that those words were difficult because they just it becomes like a handbook. Mm-hmm. If you write, her writing is a a handbook in in what we aspire to be. It's true. You know, like what, at our absolute best, you think, oh, it's just really some rich stuff there, some gold, you know. Yeah. Yeah, nothing is, again, I, I don't ever hear anything she's ever done that she's thought, well, good enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm good enough. It's, oh, whatever, whatever. nobody's going to hear this anyway. You know, she's not that, that type. Yeah. That is uh, the end of your list, my friend. That's it. Seven, right? That's it. Yeah. Oh, wow. We got through all that. Good. Yeah. I could add more, but there you go. My, it's, I mean, it's hard to just have seven. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, well, you're welcome to come back anytime with anything. Thank you. Man. So, thank yeah, you. Thank, thank you, you very Brent. much for coming in. Thank you for having me. All right. This has been No Sleep Till Sudbury with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Kevin Wright. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide.